Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us bad. My name is Bill. This is episode 87. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope your life is going spectacularly. I am recording today, unfortunately, though, with a heavy heart. Uh, This morning, mid-game, my venerable 2600 gave its last bit of power to save the universe one more time in today's game. It died mid-game, doing what it loved. I just thank God that we weren't playing Amadar when it went out. (sighs) I don't know when I got this console. I'm gonna say 83? Early 80s, probably. It sat in storage for decades. But I brought it out, and it was an old workhorse for me, week after week, playing these games. But today, it finally said, yeah, I'm done. Now, I don't know much about the guts of the Atari console, so I don't know if it's a console problem. Maybe it's just a power supply problem. Maybe I could just get a new power supply and it'll come back to life. I don't know how this works. I don't know what's more likely. I don't know what's involved in fixing it if it needs to be fixed. If any of you have any expertise on this and can suggest where I should start with trying to resurrect uh, the console I have, or if you think I should just, you know, suck it up and move on. I do still have the 7800 Pro system. That's what I ended up playing the game on for today. And I guess I'll be playing games on that on that for the foreseeable future. But, you know, there's a few games, a few 2600 games that don't work on the 7800. Uh, and I'm kind of a 2600 guy at heart. And I kind of want a 2600 console around. So, unless I get creative and think I can resurrect the one I have, or like I said, maybe if it ends up being a cheap fix, getting a power supply, which I might try to do. I mean, is that advisable? To just go find a random Atari 2600 power supply somewhere and plug it into the console I have? Is that going to cause more damage? I have so many questions. But at the moment, I'm just grieving the loss of my old buddy. But I will try to power through with this episode. Not much news to talk about today. I watched last night, finally, the the first episode of Seth MacFarlane's new show, The Orville, on Fox. It's not bad. I mean, it, it suffers from every, from the same thing that every first episode suffers from, right? they got to introduce all the characters. So plot kind of takes a backseat to that. It is very much, and I'm sure very consciously, a Star Trek clone. It looks a lot like Next Generation. It, having said that, it's a very slick-looking show. It's a sci-fi show. There's a fair amount of humor in it. I think you got kind of got to go in... Uh, liking Seth MacFarlane. I like him for all his creativity, right? He does a lot of different things. I'm not necessarily like a Family Guy fan. Uh, I don't hate Family Guy, but I'm not necessarily a fan or American Dad or... Yeah, I'm not a rabid fan of any particular thing that he does, but I am a fan of the fact that he does a lot of different things and is very passionate about creativity and entertaining and and all of that. So I'm, I'm gonna, it's going to take some getting used to Seth MacFarlane the actor. So, we'll see. I'll probably watch some more episodes and see how it goes. I don't have CBS All Access, so I can't watch the new Star Trek Discovery show. Um, so, maybe this is going to have to be my sci-fi uh, Star Trek-ish fix uh, for the time being, until CBS finally decides someday, maybe, to make it available on Netflix in the U.S. I think it is available on Netflix in the U.K. Um, if anyone is watching, you know, when the new Star Trek series starts, if anyone's watching it, Let me know what you think. Alright, let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is... It's time! It's about time! Time to 
against yours. No problem. Atari presents the wacky new Pigs in Space video game cartridge with Miss Piggy and the Muppet Crew. Three far-out space adventures in one. She's great. Daddy, you guys are in big pig trouble. Pigs in Space video game cartridge from Atari. Video game console sold separately and hooked up by an adult. Pigs in Space is an Atari game from 1983. I was a big Muppet Show fan. Uh, big Jim Henson fan. Uh, this episode is dropping on September 24th. If you're listening to the episode on that day, you're listening to it on Jim Henson's birthday. So how cool is that? Pigs in Space, of course, was a sketch, uh, a recurring sketch from the classic Muppet show uh, that ran in the 70s. Pigs in Space featured Captain Link Hogthrob, First Mate Miss Piggy, and uh, Dr. Strange Pork, uh, all pigs, obviously, uh, on the good ship Swine Trek, traversing the galaxy, getting into all sorts of Star Trek-ish adventures. But it would be things like, well, like the stuff in, in the game today, fighting uh, evil chickens, or there was an episode, you know, crossover with Star Wars when Star Wars was huge, and they had uh, Luke Skywalker, you know, Mark Hamill, in his in a version of Luke Skywalker along with C-3PO and R2D2 uh, on the swine on the swine track. The jokes were always intentionally uh, hokey, a lot of puns, a lot of laughing at their own jokes, kind of thing. So the game is sort of a kid version of the uh, of what the crisis would be. In a, in, a, in a typical Pigs in Space episode, right? You had, uh, in the game, you don't get the, uh, the jokes and the, uh, the witty, uh, well, witty might be too highbrow of a term, uh, the uh, insult humor that was passed around between the three characters, uh, but you get sort of the madcap adventures. So the manual, after telling us how to plug in our game, tells us, by the way, when your difficulty switch is in the B position, you earn a bonus round every 10,000 points. Do not earn bonus points when your difficulty switch is in the A position. The other game setup instructions are pretty obvious, right? You put in the game, you select a game, you select the number of players uh, on the title screen, or when the title screen is selected. I didn't notice that. Let me look at that. Not that this is a big deal. But it's just not something I noticed. Let's see. Alright, title screen. Copyright 1983 Atari. Copyright 1983 HA! Exclamation point. Is that a joke or is that a company called HA? Interesting. Oh, okay. Well, no, it just says. Yeah. Never mind. Not the big a deal. I'm not seeing what they meant. I was playing a one player game anyway. Gameplay. Pigs in Space is a. Tri-Pig-Athlon. There should be a little copyright symbol after that, seems to me. Because I'm totally making a t-shirt now that says Tri-Pig-Athlon. Of three thrilling outer space games. Chick Invaders, Posteroids, and Escape from Planet of the Gonzoids. As the commander of the Starship Swine Trek, your mission is to score the highest points possible and complete as many rounds as you can. To select a game, well, we know how to do that. That's pretty evident when you look at the screen. Each time you successfully complete a round, the game choice screen appears and you can continue playing the same game or select a new one. If you continue playing the same game, the new round will be more difficult. You begin Pigs in Space with five rounds and ten earn extra rounds every 10,000 points. Uh, we covered that already. Chick Invaders, while on a routine exploration of the planet Cluck, Captain Link Hogthrob is suddenly attacked by a squawking squadron of space chickens. The devastating and incredibly messy weapon, fearless Captain Link, counterattacks by lobbing Link sausages, which is kind of creepy, right? A pig is uh, 
and throwing sausages at the enemy. That's kind of, I mean, where's the rest of the crew of the Swine Trek? I think we know now. Uh, they've become sausages. Space travel is brutal, friends. So he's lobbing Link sausages at the chickens before the before they drop eggs all over his nice clean uniform. Each hit scores points and sends the hens flying into the bird dimension. I'm going to tweet at Neil deGrasse Tyson and ask him if he knows anything about the bird dimension. Use the joystick to move Captain Link left or right. Press the red button to fire a Link sausage. Only one sausage can appear on the screen at a time, which is a little frustrating when you're playing because uh, it seems to slow things down a little bit. Link must quickly divert all the chickens before they force him down into the muck of Planet Cluck. At the same time, he must dodge their messy eggs. If an egg hits Link, he will be transformed into a chicken. Because that makes sense. A fate worse than bacon. Or sausages, I guess I'd say. Either of these tragedies ends the round. Link's other challenge is to hit Gonzo, who commands the chicken invasion from a swirling saucer at the top of the screen. A direct sausage strike on... Gonzo's saucer sends him flying into deep space and earns you bonus points. Depending on which row the chicken is in that you hit, dictates how many points. Row 1 is 10 points. There are 5 rows, so 10, 20, 50, 70, and 100 points. Point values for each upper row decrease when a lower row is eliminated. Hitting Gonzo's saucer gets you 300 points, and eliminating all the chickens gets you 1,000 points. Posteroids. That's the second game. Yikes. That pighead Link has accidentally ejected Miss Piggy into a raging posteroid storm. If you experience posteroids for more than one week in a row, please consult your physician. I added that part. Now the intrepid first mate Pity must fight her way through a treacherous torrent of Italian food to return to the good ship Swine Trek. If the Swine Trek leaves the screen before Miss Pity boards it, one round is lost and the ship it circles back around for another try. Use your joystick to guide Miss Piggy through the posteroid storm. Press the red button to karate chop meatballs for bonus points. But watch out, if Miss Piggy collides with a meatball or a strand of spaghetti, she'll be knocked back to where she started. Crowded chopping a meatball gets you 100 points, boarding the swine truck gets you 1,000 points. The third game is Escape from the Planet of the Gonzoids. The swine truck is trapped in an abandoned pizza mine. Alright. Guarded by Gonzoids. Weird metallic robots created by the crazed Gonzo. The Gonzoids stand on ledges and toss pizzas across the mine tunnels. These tunnels and pizzas can disable the swine truck or on contact by gumming up its hyperspace drive. Here's the good news. To help you get through the mine, Dr. Strangeport has invented a quasi-wonderful... That's what it says. A quasi-wonderful weapon. The Boomeray. And it's got the little trademark symbol after it. Interesting. The Boomeray is an arching ray, especially designed to disintegrate the hard-to-reach gonzoids. Move the swine truck left to right and press the fire button to shoot boomerays in the same direction, like a boomerang. The boomerang shoots upward, then turns back down. But now for the bad news. When incorrectly aimed, the boomerang can boomerang back and disable the swine trek ending a round. You'll also lose a round if the swine trek doesn't escape the pizza mine. Note, pressing the fire button to start gameplay automatically fires your boomerang, so be careful not to move the swine trek. You might destroy it before you destroy the gonzoids. Here I would also add, if you experience premature boomerang firing, please consult with your physician. Scoring. Every mile forward gets you a point. Destroying a gonzoid gets you 100 points, and escaping the mine gets you 1,000 points. That is how you play Pigs in Space. AtariProtos.com notes that Bill Aspermonte programmed Pasteroids, Pasteroids, Rob Zeidbell uh, programmed Chicken Baiters, and John Russell programmed Planet of the Gonzoids, and that this is the last children's series title that Atari released. The review calls Pigs in Space an oddity among Atari games, because it's not really one game, but it's the three mini-games. 
in one or a tripigathlon, as Atari called it. They note that, obviously, Chicken Invaders is a uh, Space Invaders clone, but since Atari owned the rights to Space Invaders, it was an authorized clone. He compares Posteroids uh, to a clone of Telesis's Cosmic Creeps. Uh, I'm going to take the reviewer's word for it. I'm not familiar with Cosmic Creeps. It's unknown if Atari unknowing, unknowingly copied Cosmic Creeps or if it was just an unfortunate coincidence. Anyway, the plot behind the game is that somehow Miss Petey has been injected into space. Okay, we know all that. And then we have Escape from the Planet of the Gonzoids. Uh, the reviewer says on the surface, you'd think this was the only truly original game of the three, but it's very similar to a 20th Century Fox game, Fantastic Voyage. Again, I'll take your word for it. The reviewer says that none of these games would have stood a chance on their own, but putting all three in one cartridge makes for a decent game. This was the last cartridge in the children's series to be released before Atari decided to pull the plug uh, on the series. It's not a bad game, but it's nothing special unless you're a huge Muppets fan. The Atari I.O. blog uh, also reviewed Atari 2600, the Atari 2600 game Pigs in Space. Radio Poultry uh, is the name of the reviewer. Uh, this was a Groundhog Day review, which he deems a good time to talk about uh, a game featuring hogs. To quote the announcer on the show, Pigs in Space! This reviewer would have been delighted if the Atari generated tones mimicking the introduction, but I guess it was not to be. Copyright of 1983 is given, two years after the show had aired its final episode. Chicken Invaders has some of the best character graphics and animation I've seen on the 2600. Donzo's spinning head has three colors, and the transformation into a chicken is particularly well done. It's reasonably fun to play, though Space Invaders is certainly better. Graphically, Posteroids is not quite up there with the others, but it's not bad. The depiction of Miss Piggy here is a bit crude, and arguably without the spacesuit seen on the cartridge, she has bigger problems than pasta. But the motion of the swine track tilting side to side like a ship tossed at sea is nicely implemented with five frames of animation. The gameplay, though, is lacking. Depending on how it's played, it either feels tedious or frustrating, but never really achieves fun. In the Gonzoids game, uh, the progression of difficulty in this game, he says, is odd each time the gameplay the game is successfully completed, the mine passes a little faster, but also the gonzoids alternate between firing quickly and slowly. There's one significant problem with this part of the game, the layout of the mine and the placement of the enemies is the same every single time. Uh, he also notes that supposedly Dr. Strangeport created the weapon, but you never actually see him on the cartridge art, and he's the hidden pilot of the swine trek. As a whole, we have three games and one cartridge, which aren't terribly challenging and tend towards repetition quickly. But, like the other reviewer, he likes the idea that Pigs in Space for the Atari 2600 exists. And he likes the quirky humor and the small graphical touches. As a collector, I find it great. And I agree with this reviewer. It would have been a little disappointing if I shelled out however much it cost when it was new to just sit down and play it. But now, being a collector, uh, I'm and a Muppets fan. I am happy to have this game in my collection. So, without further ado, let's get on with it. After the break, it's time to start the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to get things started on the old podcast tonight. Captain Wink Hogfrog, the gluttonous first mate Piggy, and the Assyrian Dr. Julius Strangeport. Tonight's episode... I don't need CBS All Access to watch the new Star Trek Discovery show. Star Trek is like Canadian bacon to the rich, thick, maple bacon that is Pigs in Space. Alright, I'm going to start with Captain Link Hogthrob's game, which is really just Space Invaders. 
Wow, that was an ignominious start. And problem with this version of Space Invaders is the invaders, the chickens, are practically sitting on your head when the game starts. Crafting their eggs on you. Which I'm not exactly sure that's how chicken biology works, but you know. This is not going well for Captain Atari Bites. Let me adjust the volume here a little bit. Let's try that level again. It doesn't help any that I'm playing this, uh, this 2600 game on my 7800 Pro system, and I was lazy and didn't want to mess with figuring out if the uh, Sega Genesis controller with the Aladdin adapter would transfer, so I'm just using the plain old 7800 controller, which sucks, and it's getting uncomfortable. But, oh, there we go. I'm getting it now. Oh, I almost got Gonzo. Um, you know, this, this Space Invaders type game is perfectly satisfying. I'm having a good time. Got my last chicken left. Here, chicky chicky. Just not timing the shot right for that last. Too soon, too soon. Here, chicky chicky. Gonzo. Boom! Who wants fried chicken for dinner? Alright, let's try the Miss Piggy game. This one's actually kind of tricky. Dodging spaghetti and meatballs. Um. Although, I keep forgetting you can karate chop the meatballs. Oh, there we go. I got one there. I almost made it to the swine truck. No! Take that, meatball. There's a sense I never thought I'd say. I want that on a t-shirt. Take that, meatball! Yes! Alright, let's try Dr. Strange Pork's game. Tangentially. Uh, it's that... It's got very much a... River Raid meets Yar's Revenge look to it. With sort of the black and white moving through the uh, through space there. I, I'm not a fan of this boomerang boomerang weapon. You're going uh, vertically. Your enemies, the Gonzos, are to your left and right and you can't turn towards them. So you fire the boomerang weapon, and all it really does is just go up and more or less come back straight down. You can't adjust where you shoot it, unless I'm really missing something. I'm going to try that level again. It is nice that you can pick which game you want to try. Alright, let's try this again. Can you aim it somehow? Sure doesn't seem like it. There we go. Just had to move closer to Gonzo, I guess. 
And if you touch the side, your ship crashes? Yep, it doesn't. I just did it on purpose. Alright. Yeah, so this third one, what's it called? Uh. Not Posteroids. Escape from the planet of the Gonzoids. Yeah, that's my least favorite of the three. Alright, back to you in the studio. Here's the thing about Pigs in Space. I've already said I appreciate the game as a Muppets fan, like those other reviewers did. On its own, it's probably not a great game. And if you, you know, back in 83, sp spent full price to get it hoping for a challenging game. Although, I think, even then, you would have bought it knowing that this is a, a game based on a comedy show skit. And you probably wouldn't be expecting a whole lot. But if you were, you would have been disappointed. But I got it for whatever I got it for. I don't even remember what I paid for it, but it wasn't very much. And I am happy to have it in my collection. The games are what they are. The, the Boomerang game uh, didn't impress me a whole lot. Posteroids, it's not hard, but on first blush, it does sort of present a little bit of a challenge. Until, like the one reviewer said, you figured out that you can try to chop the meatballs. I thought Chicken Invaders was a very passable clone of Space Invaders. Uh, I could play that all day, uh, you know, as much as I could Space Invaders, so... I was happy enough with that. It would be fun to see a Pigs in Space game for a modern game system where you could have the actual characters sort of interacting and you could have uh, dialogue and the jokes and stuff. That might add another fun element to it. So if somebody's working on a Pigs in Space game now, let me know. I'm not really going to do a story today. The game itself is a story already. Pigs in Space has a long lineage on... Uh, it's recurring uh, episodes on The Muppet Show. You can go to YouTube and watch those. And without doing the voices and the characters and all that, I couldn't really do a story justice anyway. So I thought I would just talk about Jim Henson and The Muppet Show and Pigs in Space and just kind of, uh, in honor of Jim Henson's birthday, just kind of do that. Jim Henson was born September 24, 1936. He died on May 16, 1990. Uh, he, of course, created the Muppets and founded the Jim Henson Company, and he was the performer behind many of the company's famous characters, Kermit the Frog, obviously, uh, as well as Ernie and Rolf the Dog. He grew up watching Disney films and movies with comic legends like Bob Hope and George Burns. He liked uh, radio shows, Edgar Burden, Charlie McCarthy, graduated as a member of the Honor Society from Northwestern Senior High School in Hyattsville, Maryland in 1954. Got started with puppeteering uh, it, that same summer. They performed puppets for various kid shows, Pierre and the French Rat, Longhorn and Shorthorn, for the Junior Morning Show on local station WTQP. The show only ran for three weeks, but it got him a gig puppeteering on a show called Afternoon on an NBC affiliate. He went to college at University of Maryland, and WRC-TV offered him his own show, and that became Sam and Friends. It was a five-minute show, aired live twice a day after the news, involving puppets lip-syncing uh, lip to a comedy or novelty record. His co-puppeteer was Jane Nebel, and he would marry her then in 1959. The, most of the cast of that show disappeared after the show was over, but one character did not. Kermit. This was with the debut of Kermit the Frog, and he, of course, hung around uh, for a long time after that. Jim Henson did not use the tiny one-hand puppets whose heads only bobbed when they talked, uh, which was sort of the tradition for puppeteering, he used puppets, moving mouths, and often real hands. 
He also got rid of the stage that all puppets on TV hid behind, just as they did in conventional theater, wisely realizing that the TV screen itself is the stage. Freeing up these constrictions made the characters more able to move around in their environment uh, more imaginatively and ex- in an exciting way. To keep the Jim Henson company going, he started doing commercials to make money. One of his standout characters from the commercials was Rolf the Dog, uh, and Rolf actually became was the star Muppet for a long time. He had a regular gig on the Jimmy Dean show, and he was the guy in the Muppet world until uh, Kermit kind of uh, stole the show, and Rolf became more of a supporting player. In the 1960s, Henson teamed up with Frank Oz, who Jim Henson once called absolutely the greatest puppeteer in the world, and Jerry Jewell, who wrote nearly every Muppet production for 35 years, or at least helped. In 1962, Don Salen joined the Muppets, building Rolf and laying the foundations for the Muppet Workshop. Henson also experimented with animation and filmmaking, uh, including a 1965 Academy Award-nominated short piece called Time Piece. Several comedic industrial films paving the way for the Muppet meeting films, the documentary Youth 68, and the hour-long experimental drama The Cube in 1969. 1969 was also a big year because a woman named Joan Gantz Cooney formed the Children's Television Workshop and came to Henson and asked to help asked him to help create and perform puppets on a new show for preschoolers, which would become Sesame Street, where, of course, we got Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch, Bert and Ernie, Count Von, Count Von Count, Cookie Monster Grover, and eventually Elmo. There's a whole book, The Sesame Street Gang, just a, a, a sort of a play-by-play of how the children's television workshop in Sesame Street came to be. Uh, it's a fascinating book. Uh, if you're a, a fan of The Muppets or a fan of Sesame Street or a fan of television, Really, uh, go check out that book. At first, Jim Henson was kind of reluctant to do the Sesame Street show. He he, he saw his characters as um, uh, puppets for adults. He didn't necessarily see them as kids show fodder. Cooney uh, convinced him to uh, to do it, and he was proud of it. He performed Kermit for the show. Ralph did make a cameo on Sesame Street too, but really Kermit was the only majorly established Muppet who appeared on Sesame Street. And there were a whole slew of new characters create especially for the show. Henson's big effort to try and steer the Muppets back towards, I don't know if he was going for particularly or strictly adults, but I think he wanted to at least bring the adults back who had kind of wandered away maybe when the Muppets became so identified with Sesame Street. He did in the 70s, in the mid-70s. They had a short run on Saturday Night Live in a, a recurring sketch, I think called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, but that didn't last I think I've read that some of the uh, cast didn't appreciate some of their uh, screen time going to these Muppets. So that didn't last very long. Henson lobbied really hard and struggled for a long time to get the green light to do a primetime show, but he finally got it with The Muppet Show. It was a half-hour variety show that premiered in 1976. It ended its run in 1981. Uh, had 120 episodes. All of you guys, or a lot of you guys, are probably familiar with The Muppet Show, right? It was... Uh, Sort of behind the scenes of a a weekly musical comedy review at the Muppet Theater. So the show was kind of split between the acts, you know, musical and comedy acts being performed on the stage, and then sort of the crazy stuff going on backstage. Um, every week there would be a different guest star, and you know, an actor, a comedian, or a singer of note in that era, and wackiness would ensue. I think I mentioned Mark Hamill appeared uh, in a version of his Luke Skywalker character. Um, yeah, they had uh, Edgar Bergen, uh, I think they had Candace Bergen too, Bob Hope, Steve Martin, uh, a number of other big stars uh, 
who, who were notable names at that time. Kermit the Frog served as the host of The Muppet Show, and he was the director and general overseer of the theater. Scooter was his assistant. Ralph the Dog appeared on the show as you know the, the pianist, and then, of course, you had Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem as the house band. There were various set pieces and recurring comedic bits at the dance, when the Muppets would dance and make uh, dumb jokes. Muppet Labs with Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and his assistant Beaker, where horrible experiments would go awry. Muppet Newsflash with uh, the newsman reporting breaking news happening in the Muppet Theater or elsewhere in the Muppet Universe. But then the story would usually end with something horrible happening to him. Like, for example, when he reports that on the stock market, beef fell dramatically, uh, a cow falls from out of nowhere onto his head. Uh, Veterinarian's Hospital, where Dr. Bob, played by Rolf, operates on some strange patients while cracking corny jokes, and the Swedish Chef, a cooking show parody, and then, of course, Pigs in Space. Pigs in Space appeared in 32 episodes over four seasons. The sketch won a spot on the second Muppet Show cast album in 1978. The script for the skit used in episode 205 was re-recorded in the studio by the performers. Uh, after the Muppet Show, Pigs in Space, of course, became the Atari game that we've been talking about this episode. Atari also produced a prototype for a second Muppet game, Miss Piggy's Wedding, but then they canceled the children's line, so the game was never produced. The Muppets, of course, are also responsible for one of my favorite movies of all time, The Muppet Movie. I also really like The Great Muppet Caper. I like The Muppet State of Manhattan. I think I had a little bit of a dialogue on Facebook one day about these movies with uh, Sean from Pie Factory and uh, Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Hi, Sean, if you're listening. I just really like The Muppets. Uh, I liked doing this episode just so I could talk about them a little bit. Henson did other stuff, too, like uh, The Labyrinth. I think it was called The Labyrinth. And uh, Dark Crystal, some other kind of movies where he tried to steer, still puppetry and, and that kind of thing, but away from the typical Kermit and stuff. I don't know if they were commercial successes, but they were kind of cult favorites. I have not watched either one of those since I was a kid. They didn't really grab me at the time. Uh, I may have to check those out again. There are a number of really good books about Henson. He's just an interesting guy. One of the things, facts about Henson that stands out for me um, one of his kids wrote a book or contributed to a book and talked about how he was obsessively creative. He was also a, a big family man. And for him, the two things were not separate. His work and his family were all one thing in his head. He kept very detailed journals of you know his schedule and so forth. And it would be a flow of appointments and meetings and things about working on various projects interspersed with firsts, you know, his birthday's kids, and also firsts for them, or trips that they had planned and stuff. It was just all one big thing. Uh, he didn't really separate, I don't think, his family from his work. It was all one thing in his head. And he actually died, reportedly, uh, from pneumonia, only because he was so busy working that he just didn't go to the doctor when he was feeling sick. And, you know, it ended up costing him. So, which is kind of a down note to end the episode on. So, oh, so I'll bring it back up a little bit. On the Muppet Show DVD, the I think it's called the Almost 35th Anniversary Edition, there's an extra on there called Screen Test. Uh, I don't have it in front of me here, but it's like Jim Frawley's Screen Test or something. And it's like 17 minutes, and it's just video or film of uh, Jim Henson and I'm guessing Frank Oz? I'm not sure. It's two of them walking around with Fozzie and Kermit Muppets on their on their arms. Sometimes they're walking around, sometimes they're driving, sometimes they're inside, sometimes they're outside. It's going around different locations and just improvising 
a conversation about whatever's going on at the time. And they were screen testing. So you held them up at look out in the real world. And it's just fun to watch. It's fascinating. And they just seem to be having a really good time. Uh, so it's a nice uh, way to remember Jim Henson, which I wanted to do on this day uh, of his birth, uh, his birthday. So with that, uh, I think I'll just say happy birthday, Jim Henson. We still miss you. And uh, we'll end it right there. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribytes.lipson.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. And... In a bold leap into 2010, Atari Bytes is now on Instagram, so check out our stuff there as well. You can find Atari Bytes on various podcatchers, but please remember uh, to steer the swine trek toward planet iTunes and channel your link hogthrob to leave a review. You can also support the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at zazzle.com. And if you have time, do check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Keystone Capers. Tune in again next time when you'll hear the alien baby say... So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,